Welcome to the Big Data Chronicle, where we discuss everything from big data, business intelligence, machine learning, and much, much more. Tonight, our hosts include the chief editor of the Big Data Chronicle, author Malmus, and our social media strategist, David Berman, and me, your host, Kisna Alper. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. It's great to have you here. I'd like to start off by having you introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourselves and a little bit about the Big Data Chronicle. Yeah, I guess I'll start. Uh, my name is Arthur Malmus. I have a I have my MBA with a concentration in business intelligence analytics. Um, you know, the reason I kind of picked that honestly was by chance. And because it sounded really cool, it sounded really lucrative. But you know, as I started, as I started taking more and more classes, I, I started to find like, wow, this is actually really, really cool. Like, this is really interesting. And you know, going to what you were saying about Big Data Chronicle, I realized you know other other concentrations like marketing, uh, finance, accounting, they have their own media outlets and. Since our field is so new, there's there's not a whole lot out there. There's not a whole new, uh, lot of resources they can go to get the latest news, latest updates. You know what what best practices are there, and and it's it's since it's so new, a lot of other a lot of other like small businesses or just people in general don't know what uh, business intelligence analytics is or big data or machine learning. So I, I kind of wanted to like fill that gap and kind of wanted to inform people you know about this field and that's kind of why i created the big data chronicle thank you david i have a bachelor of business administration in information technology with a double minor in spanish and business analytics and i'm currently pursuing my master's degree in information technology concentrating in databases and what i currently do at the big data chronicle is i I post blogs on our website and then I will post, I'll share the blog on LinkedIn with a caption written by me. And I enjoy that a lot, seeing all this, all the views we get, all the likes, analyzing that, where are we going right, where are we going wrong? Great. What we can do better. That sounds great. And I, myself, am also a part of the Big Data Chronicle, and I like to focus on the how-tos of big data. I like being a part of the Big Data Chronicle because I do understand that there is such a gap right now between people that understand technology and how it works and those that don't. And I think the Big Data Chronicle really serves a purpose to bridge 
these two groups of people together so that they kind of understand more about how technology is affecting their everyday lives. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let me ask you, why do you like business intelligence? Why gravitate towards that field? You know, I, I think just kind of who I am, I'm a very analytical person and you know, everything else, you know, marketing was cool. I thought finance was cool, but this field was, as I've said before, it's just so new. And just with, you know, the, co- the computer processing power, it, you can do a lot with it. You can get a lot more insights than what you can from just what your hunches are. And it, it definitely has its, its strength. It definitely can help, you know, a business grow. It's, it's such a huge, a huge asset. And, it's just only going to get better. It, te- uh, computer technology is just going to keep improving. So as when that happens, I think analytical uh, processing power is also going to improve. So, and it's going to change just how the landscape of how we interact with each other, how businesses interact with their customers. So I, that's why uh, I really like that field. I couldn't agree with you more. And I find that as today, a lot of mid-sized, just small companies really don't understand business intelligence and big data and how it can be such an incredible asset for them. But I think the larger companies do. Yeah, definitely. Like Google, Amazon, they definitely understand. But without that, it's very difficult to compete. Yeah, yeah clearly. I think I remember a professor, he says that a friend of his said that he, he actually wrote a, a peer-reviewed article saying that if small businesses and medium-sized businesses don't adapt these technologies, it's 90% guaranteed to fail. I do. And that's, that's ridiculous. So I think a lot more businesses and people in general should just understand what's going on, what's developing, so that if they ever do get uh, start a business or if they are running a business, they can embrace these technologies and not be left in the dust. Absolutely. David, why big data? Why business intelligence? From taking classes at my undergraduate institute, I fell in love with learning about databases, learning how the data is organized, and taking data analytics classes and really finding my passion through there. And data and the use of data is just going to continue to grow no matter what industry you're in, no matter what business you're in you're going to have data. So it's super important that you understand the data and why you need it. It's so true, David. It To me, it seems like business intelligence kind of overlaps onto so many different areas in business. For instance, I couldn't help but note that you were very interested in analytics and how it relates to human resources. That's correct. Wonderful. And as for me... I fell in love with business intelligence after studying marketing and understanding that how important these analytics are in the in the marketing field because they really do bring the facts of what's happening and it sheds light on what you might have a hunch on or a guess on and and, and there's a big difference between thinking that something might sell and knowing that it will be well received. I definitely agree with you, Kisna. There's always a question in business, why? 
And I think the data helps answer that question. Absolutely. As, as we know, business intelligence is basically broken up into three different areas. The descriptive analytics that explains what's going on, the, the predictive analytics, you know, what, what will happen in the business, and then, of course, the prescriptive, what's the best way to, to optimize these results and, and what should we do about these forecasts? definitely important in business. So for our listeners who might not understand what's going on with business intelligence and and why should they care? Why should, you know, why should they know about this world? I mean, I think we should start, you know, let's kind of define what it is first. Um, Our our computer technology, our, the ability, the amount of data we have, is just monumental now. So we have this huge amount of volume of data. And our processing power has also increased with computers, so we can analyze this large amount of data at a pretty fast pace. And there's so many forms of it. You know, that variability, like audio, you know, your clicking patterns, where your eye is on this, like looking at on the screen your tonality of what you write. And it's just this huge volume of data that people can gain a deeper insight that they couldn't get from just looking at it, you know, at first glance. I absolutely agree with you. For instance, I was doing some analysis on the airlines and which ones were the worst as far as arriving on time. Mm -hmm. And with the data visualization, instead of, going through and reading the reports and trying to remember, you know, who came in late the most time uh, when you have a software like Tableau or click where you can go in and visually see how many are late and how many aren't. And Mm -hmm. it stacks it maybe in a line graph. You just get it and you just know, and it doesn't take any time at all to just visually look at this information and you, it's easy to remember. It's yeah, just I, one I map. Yeah. A very good point. That's I'm, true. And, and as a consumer or anybody out there, this is something that they could do themselves and gain this knowledge and gain this insight. Mm. It's available to them. Right. So it does affect them. It's not just for people involved in technology. Yeah, right. It's a big change, and data analytics and just large amounts of data, this is going to be a mainstay. I should give a word of warning of you know what it isn't, because when it first evolved, it was very, very close to its meaning, but I think now it, it, big data really has become a bit of a buzzword, a marketing buzzword. And you know if you ever look at the, uh, I think it's, I believe it's the uh, Gardner hype cycle, right now big data was on, it actually got pulled off from that hype cycle. But what it, what it is now is it's like a panacea. A panacea is like a solution to all problems. And I feel like a lot of companies felt like, yeah, you know, it is critical. You need big data, but it's not going to be the thing that's going to solve all your business problems. And I, I feel like if you are going to start looking into that, don't go in that for that expectation because you're going to be disappointed. I mean, one of the things I've noted like that I've seen with the cons of big data, just because you have a lot of data, doesn't mean like, you know, you can pull something instantly out of it and be like, oh, okay, let me do this. And now your problem is solved. And now you're making 
a million dollars more in profit margins. You have to ask the right questions. And I was talking to a professor who's in statistics. She says, yes, you have to ask the right questions. You, you can't be vague. When you look at this data, you can't be vague about it. It's called a happenstance correlation, right? You have a big enough data set, you're eventually going to find a correlation. Like, for example, that there's a correlation between the increase in ice cream sales and increase in shark attacks in the summer. And they're like, oh, there's a correlation because they will happen in the summer. But that's a shortcoming of big data. So I, I think that's one of the pitfalls that a lot of people fall into is that you, they, they're not asking the right questions. And the technology is still growing. You know, one of the big poster childs for big data was the Google flu season. It was able to predict where the flu was going throughout the country. And people were like, yes, this is what big data is all about. But what happens is that big data can actually be gained. Did you know that? It, it's, it's called Google bombing. And essentially what happened with that flu, it, it's, at first it was very accurate. But then over time, because it was so much information, it started to lose its accuracy. So yes, big data is a thing, but it's kind of become two things. Like one, what, what it really is and what this high expectation that's just going to deliver a lot of failure and disappointment. So I, I think when you look into big data, you should go into it with a, a very realistic understanding. It's so true. Uh, Kathy O'Neill, the author of Weapons of Math Destruction, feels very strongly about these models. Uh, you know, we've all heard that <clears throat> all models are wrong, but some are useful. Mm -hmm. And Kathy O'Neill really talks about how a, mo a model can be weaponized and, and used against you. And that's something that we should all be aware of. She feels so strongly about it that she believes that analysts should take an oath to do no harm like a doctor would. I mean, for our viewers, like, I mean, what's an example of it being weaponized? Well, for instance, in Kathy O'Neill's book, Weapons of Math Destruction, mm -hmm. she uses the example of how do you determine if a teacher is good or bad? And you can sit in a classroom and you can evaluate a teacher, but that's only one or two days throughout the semester or the year. And one of the ways that, you know, a certain area or region wanted to judge whether a teacher was good, doing a good job or not, was to look at the results of the student's test scores. Mm -hmm. And if they scored a bad score, then and they and, and the results fall in between upper and lower limits of what was okay and what was not okay, then the the teacher was deemed to be a bad teacher. Wow! And in this particular case in the book, the teacher actually lost her job because her students didn't score at a certain degree. I definitely agree with that. I remember being in school and the teacher would always say what the mean score was. And then you'd be like, okay, well, that's great that I scored above the mean, but it's not so great that I scored below the mean. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that the model cannot take into consideration everything. Yeah, For instance, there are some students that they're just not going to study. Yeah, they're not going to do one. Or, they're just not. Or it just does not come naturally to them. Yeah. They have a more difficult time understanding the material. 
where other students have a much easier time. They don't need to work as hard to understand the material. The problem is, is that when you build this model and you run it on everybody and you don't allow them to understand the dynamics of how the model was created, mm -hmm. she explains that it becomes a weapon and it's weaponized against people. It's true. I mean, when they're making these models, was there like a human input like they did they understand the articulations of being a teacher what made a good and bad teacher was there any or they just said okay this model says you're a bad teacher therefore you are a bad teacher. is that what happened or well i believe in this particular case in the book it's explained that the model was created by an outside source yeah but 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 once again as analysts we all understand that you just cannot account for everything in a model it's a you good can. It's a good um, way to, it's something to consider, but it's not something that is, you know, this way or the only way kind of scenario, black or white. Exactly. And also to add, I remember being an undergraduate, trying to plan my schedule for the semester and looking up the professors to see if I want to take a class with them. They're Good reviews, bad reviews, and then mixed reviews if you go if you've ever used ratemyprofessors.com. Oh yeah. It gives you the average. Were they helpful? Were they clear? Mm -hmm. Did they give a lot of homework? But Based. there's bias there. Yeah. That's true. I'm not gonna lie, I used it a lot in undergrad. But there's some professors who had terrible ratings that I thought they were amazing. I agree with you. You know, that. they were they were hard, but they were like they were really, really fair. It's personal opinion. It's also the personality of the student as well. Yeah. Are they hardworking or or are they just looking to get by? Because there's a bias too of isn't That's this true. an easy A, you know? Because right. then make creating those standards. There's some students who genuinely grade fairly and then there's those who's like, This guy is not an easy A. You know? It's hard to I'm remain objective true. when you have a platform that mm -hmm. allows you to vent. Yeah. Because nobody wants to hear how much how much difficulty you had in this class, but this is a, an avenue for you to kind of say, you know, you had problems with this professor, but it's hard to remain objective. That's correct. So I want to talk to you a little bit about all the different things that fall under this umbrella because it's so huge. Oh, it's, it's so expansive. It's just amazing. Some of the some of the things that we're going to be touching on in the Big Data Chronicle include SQL, data visualization, location intelligence, the various softwares, which ones are free, which ones aren't, which ones require coding, which ones are drag and drop, dashboards, uh, statistical analysis, external data sets, and predictions. Like someone just getting into it, it's, it's going to be overwhelming from the back. You know, even if you do have some background, you're just going to walk in there and you see all these tools and you're, you're going to be like, I don't, I don't know where to start. That's how I feel. I think that's one of the, like a huge negative about this field because it's an open, it's an open field. And there, there's, there's like no, like if you ever like did an undergrad in bio or chemistry, there's just set parameters. Like, okay, you follow this, this, and this, and you, you use these tools. There's like a standard, but since it's so open and everyone's starting their own company, doing their own tools, using it to different markets, it, it just overwhelms you. There's just so much competition in the field because yeah. of that, too. Certain companies want this software. Other companies want a different software. You're just like, I don't, you're just like, I don't know what to do. And that's the thing. 
Right now, there are so many softwares available on the market, such as Tableau or Power BI or Jump. Do you see a software emerging as a leader that companies are adapting to kind of standardize this process? I'm seeing Tableau being very popular. I do too. And and I kind of think it's it might be because Tableau really works hard to develop a relationship with the user. They have various modules and training tools that the user could learn. And they have a Tableau community. Their outreach is pretty strong with the user. And these programs, it's all about usability because because people want to learn these tools as quick as possible. No one has the time to spend hours trying to figure every little piece out. They want to they want it to be simple and they want to understand it to the best of, of their knowledge. Yeah, especially if it involves like a new language. Like they're going to be like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> Right. It's overwhelming. But that's an interesting point because today we do have various softwares that require coding, such as R and Python. In the future, do you think we'll still be using these softwares or will it evolve to a more drag and drop like Azure? I think it's because of the nature of how computer programming works. Think, for example, R, it's a very tricky language. It'll get you hopping on to a statistical analysis as soon as possible. Uh, but they're, they're making languages easier, such as Ruby and Python. I feel like there are going to be drag and drops, but there's a limitation in that. You can't make it nuanced. Whereas if you do a programming language, you can tell it exactly what to do. You, do you see what I'm saying? Like it's, I feel like with drag and drop, because it's at a set block, of instructions, you can't alter. It's like, okay, but I want to make a little exception here. You can't, I don't think you can do that with a drag and drop. I'm sure there is maybe for the market, but I don't think you'll be, for, I think for the hardcore users, it's the drag and drop's not going to be there. Not and it can be frustrating too. Mm-hmm. Like how so? It, as you said, if they want to look a certain way and they can't do it, it going to be frustrated. They're going to get very frustrated while using it, and they're not going to look to continue to use the software. Okay. They're going to look to use something else that might let them do that alteration. Yeah, I, I agree. So some of the things that we're hearing coming down the road is that in the future, everything is going to be measured. And One of the big technologies that's going to be coming down the road is blockchain. Mm -hmm. I know that some of the things that blockchain could possibly do would be to have an individual blockchain just for your medical records. For instance, if you go to one doctor and they have an x-ray of your lungs and you go to another doctor and they need that x-ray, the X-ray can be uploaded into your very own personal blockchain so that any doctor can have access to that X-ray. Right. And without you, violating HIPAA. Without violating HIPAA. You can block certain doctors on the blockchain, but it's also good for insurance companies that might not be sure what's being billed for. and They can go into it and see exactly what the doctor did and your pharmacist can go in and look at all the prescriptions that you are taking to make sure that none of them can 
conflict. Mm-hmm. What do you think about these new technologies that are coming down the road? I mean, as I said before about the, the Garner hype cycle, that with these new emerging technologies, there's going to be a lot of grandiose uh, disillusionments. Uh, you know, these, these promises of, oh, we can do this, this, and this. I, I think, for me, I'm kind of holding my judgment, and I'm just waiting for it to go through the cycle to see where it lands, to get a very realistic uh, view of how these technologies is going to change everything. So right now, I don't really have, like, right now, for especially for blockchain, I'm still kind of being res- reserved about my judgment on that. I agree. I'm still learning more about blockchain, seeing all the pros and cons they'll have. Great. Okay. So, as analysts, some of the things that we really like to do is get out there and attend the conferences and the meetups and and connect with other analysts and and see what's emerging and, and what's on the verge and what's happening. What kind of conferences have you been to lately, and what's going on in that world? I've been to two. I've been one in London. It was it was pretty cool. It was definitely where a lot of vendors were. It was free, although except for the plane ticket. And it really was just a bunch of booths. And these guys they would sit down with me and go, "What is your business problem?" And they would talk about, "Okay, we would take these data sets, analyze it, and it's kind of and this is how we would give you insights." into your business problem. On top of that, they were also doing shows about what emerging technologies are. The, the one I really liked was about the AI. They were showing you know, how they can make it understand normal languages that, we're, we're, that me and you use. And you can tell the computer, like, run this statistical analysis. They don't understand, and it will run that analysis and give you insights. The other one I went to was TDWI, and I went to one in Orlando. And I think this is really good, especially people who are really trying to get into big data because th- there are so many classes. You can't attend all of them. And the ones I took were data visualization, best practices, uh, basics on Python. And th- there's a lot more. You know, Conferences like that really help you get your foot in the door. But I do feel like there is a bit of a shortcoming with them, though. I'll be honest. It- it's not going to be in-depth. You're, you're not going to be, especially with like the, like the new programming languages, you're not going to be a master of it. I think it lends itself to being a spark. You know, it's a, a catalyst to get you into it. As I said, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a good foot in the door. And it's a great way to network with people, too. A huge plus attending these conferences. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it to the TDW. TDWI. TDWI. I did say yeah. it right. <laughs> yeah, you got it. I was, like, trying to figure out the W and the D. Um I unfortunately couldn't go in Orlando, but I'm hoping I can go this time. And I've gotten invites to go to conferences about Alteryx in Fort Lauderdale in Miami. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to go to those. Um, What I went to yesterday um, in Fort Lauderdale was the data brains learning more about the blow. I was just amazed that all the people that were there they're all utilizing Tableau with their company data. And I thought that was just amazing mm-hmm. to see all that, all these people in the different industries. Yeah, someone told me so that, like, I think 60% of the people, because it, it was at a university. Yes. 60% of them weren't even students. They were outside uh, 
people who like in the community. Working, yeah, and they were not enrolled students. And I, I think that really just shows that there is definitely an awareness that these companies need to. Hey, hey, let's learn about this. Let's learn what the best practices are. Right. To me, it seems like the smaller to mid-sized companies are starting to understand that they're missing something. Yeah. They need something. Right. But their needs are coming up and they're pushing it onto other areas, such as the accounting team or or IT or or you know anybody you know sales anybody that they can to help meet these needs to help understand what's going on and what's happening there's a lot of vendors out there and they kind of come off as a bit of snake snake uh, snake oil salesmen <laughs> because because they i think they understand like you know this is a new and upcoming field let's let's uh let's create something and let's Let's uh, create this product, and then we'll we'll tell them, okay, this will solve all your problems, you know, and then you sign this contract that you are legally bonded to for years, so you can't get out of it. <laughs> so it can be uh, very dangerous to navigate. If you don't know what you're looking for or what you're doing, it, it can really, really hurt the business. Absolutely. You're stuck pretty much. Yeah, and you're on It's going to take a very long time to recover. Yeah, and it'll cost you a lot of money too along the oh, way. Oh, sure. These softwares are very expensive. Yeah. I think one was like $50,000 for the basic model. That's wow. incredible. I was like, I could use that. <laughs> but one of the reasons why I think Tableau is going to emerge is because, you know, students in school are learning Tableau. Yeah. And when they leave that school and they go and begin their careers and start working at a company that might not have a business intelligence plan or have it developed, that person can step up and naturally they're going to gravitate towards the software that they're most comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to, I think it's, it's getting to the point now, you know, well, at least my generation that we went through school, high school, college, it was required for us to understand how word PowerPoint, Excel works, I think in the future now it's going to be Tableau. I, I think that, yeah, like software like that, it's just going to be like, duh, it's going to come installed on your computer. And, and natural programming language like SQL, yeah. C++. Yeah, I think that's... Python as well. Yeah. Python. I love Java. That. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, Java. <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring that in there. That's a nightmare language. Um... Well, folks, it looks like that's all the time that we have today. I want to thank you for hanging in there with us and listening to our first ever flagship podcast. Mm -hmm. I want to thank our founders for joining us. It was a pleasure being on. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I want to remind our listeners to follow us on the Big Data Chronicle at tbdchronicle.com, as well as like us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you. We'll see you next time.